0: quick note about today's episode. It features a story involving child abuse and murder. Listener caution is advised. Also, if you think a child is being abused, please report it to the local authorities or even call the National Child Abuse Hotline at 1-800-4-A-CHILD or 1-800-422-4453. They serve the U.S. and Canada. The hotline is staffed 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, with professional crisis counselors who, through interpreters, provide assistance in over 170 languages. The hotline offers crisis intervention, information, and referral of thousands of emergency, social service, and support resources. All calls remain confidential. The year is 1988. Kids Halloween costumes will never be the same after a certain red-headed doll named Chucky made his first appearance in the horror film called Child's Play. Tom Cruise and Dustin Hoffman would both raise autism awareness and introduce the savant misconception in Rain Man. It would be the highest grossing film and Best Picture winner that year. Tim Burton would blend horror and comedy like only he can. In the smash hit, Beetlejuice, 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 Bruce Willis would ignite the genre of the everyman versus the colorful and engaging villains. Steven Spielberg and George Lucas would join forces to make a Bambi, but with dinosaurs in the animated film, The Land Before Time. One star of this film would never get to see this completed piece of art. Today we look at the story of Judith Barcy and how alcohol, abuse, and rage would lead to the unthinkable. I'm Justin Harvey and you're listening to Death and Hollywood. Judith Barsi was born on June 6, 1978, in Los Angeles, California, to parents Joseph and Maria Barsi. She would be the couple's only child. Joseph had two other children from a previous marriage, but we will get to that later. Her mother almost immediately began training her daughter for a future in Hollywood. Her brother once told her, You know, it's like a 1 in 10,000 chance that kids get into show business, right? But Maria wasn't going to let odds stop her. She was a true stage mom, teaching Judith in the ways of posture and poise and working on her singing and speaking voice. It would all pay off accidentally in 1983 for Judith. A crew happened to be shooting a commercial at an ice rink when they noticed Judith, only five years old at the time, skating gracefully across the ice. The crew would help her land her first commercial job for Donald Duck Orange Juice. She would become a successful commercial actress and with her agent Ruth Hansen's experience and Judith's skill, would go on to appear in over 70 commercials. Here, I want to take a step back and introduce you a little more to the parents of Judith Barcy. Maria and Joseph Barcy had both separately fled the 1956 Soviet occupation of Hungary, Joseph would initially settle in France and marry a fellow Hungarian refugee named Clara, with whom he'd have two children, a son named Barna and a daughter named Aggie. Joseph would develop a drinking problem around this time and begin to physically abuse his wife Clara. The family would relocate to New York, in 1964, and Joseph would begin to extend his abuse towards his son Barna. This prompted Clara to escape with the children to Arizona in 1969. Although Joseph attempted to reconcile himself with his family, Clara filed for divorce because he threw a cast iron skillet at her in a drunken rage. Shortly after the divorce, Joseph moved to California. It's there he worked as a plumbing contractor, and he would meet Maria, a waitress at a Los Angeles restaurant that was a well-known gathering place for immigrants. The dark and husky, Joe Barsi, would sit at the bar, head down over his drinks, for which he paid for with $100 bills. Maria was impressed, seeing this brooding man, dubbed Arizona Joe, someone who could give her security. Maria, herself a Hungarian immigrant, escaped the Soviet occupation, but she suffered psychological and physical abuse from her father. The two got married and Judith's birth quickly followed in Los Angeles, where Judith was raised. Now you might ask why I brought that information up. There are two reasons. One is simply to say they were both immigrants that fled from Soviet control and to highlight that their life was filled with strife at an early age. The second is to show that violence and mental abuse were not a new phenomenon in Joseph's life. Back to Judith, she's seen tremendous success in commercials and even landing guest spots in TV roles like Growing Pains, Punky Brewster, and Cheers. According to her agent Ruth, part of her success was how young she looked. When she was 10, she was still playing 7 or 8. This was because she was short for her age, standing only 3 foot 8 inches. When she turned 10, her father would continue to work even as his daughter's star rose, leaving Maria to develop quite a bond with her. Judith and her mother got along great. They were close and spent all their time together. Between commercial shoots and her new television roles, Judith got to spend a lot of time with her mom, reading books, telling jokes. Maria even taught her daughter Hungarian, so they'd have their own secret language to speak when they were out in public. In 1984, she would play a role for a TV miniseries called Fatal Vision, playing Kimberly, the daughter of Jeffrey MacDonald. Fatal Vision is the true crime miniseries focused on captain and physician, Jeffrey McDonald, and the February 17, 1970 murders of his wife and their two children at their home on Fort Bragg. In 1979, McDonald was convicted of all three murders and sentenced to life in prison. By 1985, while not a star yet, her estimated $100,000 a year income helped buy a modest three-bedroom house in the West Hills area in 1985. Behind the success and smiles, Judith was hiding a dark secret. The young child had been going through a horrible time at home. Her father Joseph was not what he appeared to be. While Maria was doing her best to give her daughter the life she wanted, Joseph was becoming increasingly abusive. As his daughter's fame grew, so did his rage he seemed to become jealous of the child's ability to provide for their family as he had been having no luck bouncing from plumbing job to plumbing job he became paranoid and angry blaming judith for anything and everything when they were outside of the house he would act as though everything was fine calling her my little one in a loving way but when they returned home he would scream at her and her mother threatening their lives regularly. The brooding enigma in this tragedy is Joseph Barsi, 55 years old, a plumber who is ashamed of his Hungarian accent and who valued family so highly, who has been quoted saying if the family life is gone, then life is not worth living, yet by all accounts he ruled his family forcefully, bludgeoning them not with fists, but with words. He was always angry at his wife. Barcy told friends he had no mother or father, a much more stigmatizing defect in Hungary, where families stay together. When they fought, she would use it against him, calling him a bastard. Barcy would alternate his threats in these arguments, sometimes saying he would kill his wife, other times saying he would kill himself and Judith and leave Maria alive to suffer. Their neighbors started to notice the issue, with Ron reporting they saw Maria hand Judith a new kite, but then Joseph grabbed it from her hands, yelling, you're gonna break it. He allegedly looked at the neighbors and said, look at her, she's such a spoiled brat and doesn't want to share her new toy, but instead of giving it back to her or putting it away, he broke the new kite into pieces right in front of his daughter, another family friend who would give Judith homemade Hungarian sausage when she come to visit, said the girl spoke darkly of her home life. I'm afraid to go home. My daddy is sad. My daddy is drunk every day. And I know he wants to kill my mother. This is what she would tell that couple. Joseph's behavior continued to grow more and more erratic and aggressive. Though most of the abuse in the house was verbal, Maria filed a police report against her husband in December of 1986. She accused him of threatening over the last five years to kill her and of choking her and hitting her in the face. Police found no visible injuries and the wife eventually declined to prosecute. In 1987, Judith would voice the role of Ducky in The Land Before Time. Her yep, yep, yep. Is still remembered to this day by everyone who, like me, watched that movie when they were a kid growing up in the 90s. My name's Littlefoot. Mine is Ducky. Yep, that is what it is. Yep, yep, yep. Don't step on a crack or you'll fall and break your back. (laughs) Then later, in 1987, Joseph seemingly unfazed with his earlier close call with police, continued the abuse. When Judith was cast in Jaws, The Revenge, it was filmed in the Bahamas. Maria was scheduled to go with her to the shoot. Before they left, Joseph held a knife to his daughter's throat and said, if you decide not to come back, I will cut your throat." Her father was upset by his daughter's departure, but he also refused an airline ticket to visit her. When the filming was over, the mother and daughter visited Maria's brother, Weldon, in Flushing, New York. Judith had a conversation with her father on the phone. He told her, remember what I told you before you left, referring to the knife incident. The girl was terrified. She cried and dashed off to the bedroom. The mother and daughter cut their visit short and returned to California. When they came back, Judah's stress level was at an all time high. According to her agent, when she got back she was pulling out her eyelashes as a coping mechanism. The threats continued and according to his friend Peter, Joseph said 500 times he was going to kill his wife. I try to calm him down, I tell him, if you kill her, what will happen to your little one? But Joseph would just say, I guess I gotta kill her too then. But unlike other celebrated cases where witnesses turned their back on abuse, neighbors, relatives, and industry people who knew about the threats in the Barsi household tried to help. One neighbor offered Maria refuge in her own home, but she refused. Judith, now 10 years old, broke down at an audition for All Dogs Go to Heaven and someone thought to call children's services. Maria brought her daughter to a child psychologist who was able to identify signs of severe physical and emotional abuse and an investigation was launched. Maria was able to convince the caseworker to drop the investigation after assuring them that she would be filing for divorce and had a plan of action. Maria's plan of action involved moving to a Panorama City apartment, which she rented in May. She would spend her days there with her daughter, then return home at night. The woman had stated she had gotten an apartment, said the caseworker, but she had not taken that child and moved into that apartment. Can we force a woman to do that? Hansen, Judith's agent, urged her to make a final break from her husband, but she kept hesitating, saying in June that she wanted to stay in the neighborhood for Judith's birthday. Then in July, she said she didn't want to lose her home. Instead, she tried to force Joseph out. Maria told her neighbors that she had planned on cashing the tax rebate check that Judith was supposed to receive and that 12000 would be a good start for their new life, but they never got a chance. The anger and jealousy he felt for his child and wife erupted on Monday, July twenty-fifth, 1988, just one week after Maria had told neighbors she was about to leave. Judith was seen riding on her bike on the street earlier in the day, but that night, Joseph walked into his daughter's room and shot her in the head. When Maria came to the room to see what happened, he shot her as well, leaving her body in the hallway. That day, Judas missed an appointment at Hanna-Barbera Productions. Judith's agent phoned the Barcy house on Tuesday to find out what happened to cause the no-show. Joe told the agent that a big car had already picked up Judith and Maria and that he had planned to leave the home for good and had only stuck around to say goodbye to his little girl. After speaking with the agent, he poured gasoline over their bodies and lit them on fire. He then went into the garage and shot himself in the head. Eunice Daly, the neighbor, remembered hearing the sound of the final gunshot and then seeing smoke rise above the house. She said, that's it, he's done it, he killed him, and now he's set fire in the house. Firefighters were called to the gruesome scene, and it leaves you wondering, how could this happen? As for what set her husband off, an investigator said he might have discovered his wife's plan to move out. He might have also found out that she was planning for divorce, or that his daughter was seeing a psychologist. Mariah's brother offered up a different explanation. His marriage was disintegrating, so he killed her and his daughter, just like he had threatened to so many times. I think it was his final act of possession. If I can't have them, nobody's going to have them. Death left a bitter debt. Not only had a father killed the people he professed to love the most, but what troubled officials who deal with child abuse is that the social service system had failed to prevent a calamity and had been warned about. The LA Times reported that there was questions raised against Child Protective Services because the investigation should have never been called off. The commission was asked to review their client file for the first time, and they were not pleased with how the department handled the case. Helen Kleinberg, a member of the Watchdog Commission for Children's Services, was upset that CPS closed the case. It wasn't solved yet. From my point of view, the child was the client, not the mother. She believed that even though the mother claimed to be making an effort to fix it, they should have been monitoring them more closely to prevent this from happening. Judith and her mother were both buried together in unmarked graves shortly after their deaths. Joseph was buried in an unknown location, likely away from his family. It was 16 years after their passing that the public decided to donate to get them each a proper headstone, giving Judas and Maria the burial they deserved. Judas' headstone features the words, Our Concrete Angel, and under the quote from her favorite movie she ever made, The Land Before Time, and that her character Ducky was known for. Judith was taken away from everyone, way too early. It's hard for me to even write some of this episode, as I grew up with her voice, not knowing this had even happened. I hope she knows all the lives she's touched, and that she'll be missed by so many. Yep, yep, yep. (music) If you like this story, please hit subscribe and leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or if you're listening to my show. If you really like this story want to help us grow, please share it with just one friend. You can join the conversation by following us on social media. And if you'd like to financially support the show, you can become a subscriber at anchor.fm backslash death in the and you'll be listed in the credits of the next show. Sources used for this episode are included in the show notes on the website, but they include Wiki, an article by Mama Mia, an L.A. Times article by John Johnson, and an L.A. Times article by Sherry Barber.